privilege to lead you in the reading of God's word. Uh, please join me in a word of prayer. Father, God, where two or three are gathered, you are there, and we praise and thank you for this. Bring your Holy Spirit, Lord, in this place and in each of our hearts. May we live out our faith, Lord, based on your word. Order our steps in your word. Please be with Pastor Hayden this morning as he delivers your word. We pray this in the name of your son. Amen. We have a New Testament uh, scripture reading this morning from the fifth chapter of Matthew. We are reading verses uh, 13 through 16. It's on page 1501. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Think of yourself on that hillside with Jesus. As you join the crowds gathering around, trying to listen to what he's saying, you peek between the rows of people just trying to get a glimpse of this rabbi that everyone's been talking about. What's his message? What does he have to say to the people of Israel? He begins with what's known to us as the Beatitudes. And you start to wonder, what is this man saying? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You're just glad that you brought your sermon notebook to write some of this stuff down. Then he continues, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You know, it is actually, it's pretty hard for us to get our heads inside someone who was on that mountainside listening to Jesus and what these words would have meant to them. But what about for you and me today? What do these words mean for us? You know, we hear them in a slightly different way than they did. You know, instead of sitting on the mountainside, we sit in our, our pews. Instead of, you know, listening to these words for the first time ever, most of us here would probably say that we've heard these words many times before. Instead of questioning, you know, what does the kingdom of God look like? And what's Jesus' vision for it? You know, we look to Jesus as the one who has established the kingdom on earth. See, although we find ourselves 
you know, hearing these words in a very different way, I think we would ask the same questions they did. You know, we too wrestle with political instability at times. We too see social injustice all around us. We too experience racial tension in our world. We feel our bodies breaking down. We look forward to a day when things would be different. The question that I think they asked on the mountainside was, is there hope for us? Don't we ask that same question too? Jesus has something to say about this. So as we look at this passage this morning, I want to look at it under three headings. First, knowing the teaching. Second, living the teaching. And third, encountering the teacher. What does it mean to know the teaching? Well, we heard it. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be trampled. You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put, put a lamp under a bowl. No, they put it on a stand. In the same way, let your light shine that others may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, over the years, there have been debate over exactly what these metaphors that Jesus uses mean, salt and light. But what scholars, what they don't disagree about is this, is that both of these things, the salt and the light, both of them have an effect on what is around them. In ancient times, you know, they didn't have refrigeration systems like we do. They didn't have the grocery store that was down the road that you could walk to and buy meat three, four, five times a week so that it was fresh. And so they used, most of the time, they used salt as a way of delaying the decay of meat. It was used as an antidote to the bacteria. So what Jesus is saying here is that as Christians, you know, we've been called by God to be people in the world who delay the decay we see all around us. But the salt they had was not like the salt we have. It was found on the shores of, of the Dead Sea and it was more of a powder than what we have in, in our salt shakers on, on the kitchen table. Now, I'm not a chemist by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm told that if a chemist looks at this passage and they say, salt, salt doesn't lose its saltiness, that doesn't make sense. Salt is a very durable structure. But what Jesus is, is saying here is he's, he's talking about the salt that they had, which was more of a powder, a sodium chloride powder. And just by looking at it, there was no way of knowing whether it was salty, if it had that, that salt in it. And if it didn't, then it wasn't good for anything except to be, to be thrown out, to be trampled on the roads. They used it as asphalt. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, is that our purpose as Christians is to be sent out as, as salty salt. Salt that delays the decay in the world we see around us. And we, we know decay, don't we? You know, we see this in our world. We, we've experienced in the 20th century one of the most, the bloodiest century 
in our history. We see violence in culture that destroys people. We see relationships breaking down all around us. We, we experience our own bodies breaking down. And although we know as Christians that Jesus has defeated the decay, he still hasn't rid our world of it. There will be a time, it's coming. It's coming when Jesus will bring the, the new heavens and the new earth and, and will establish a place where we will not have and experience decay in our lives. But that time is not here yet. And so we've been sent to go into the world and to delay the decay we see around us. How? Well, if you look back in the previous few verses in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us the Beatitudes that shape the life of someone in the kingdom. How do we live as the, the salt of the earth by embracing the Beatitudes. But if salt is for, for fighting against decay, then, then the light analogy Jesus gives goes, goes in the opposite direction. Because light, it doesn't, it, it doesn't um, act as against something, but it acts for something, right? Light exposes. Light illuminates things. A few uh, nights ago, I was, uh, I woke up in the middle of the night hungry. And if you know, whenever you wake up in the middle of the night hungry, it's almost, almost impossible to get back to sleep again after. And, and so I, I woke up and I was hungry and my stomach was growling. So, so I got out of bed and I went to look for something to eat. And, and this is the middle of the night. And so I'm feeling my way to the kitchen from the bedroom, in the dark, trying to avoid, trying to picture in my mind the living room set up to avoid the couch and the coffee table, and then grappling for, for the, the handle on the refrigerator. And, and as soon as I, you know, opened that refrigerator door, the light poured into the room. Right? It, it exposed everything that, that I couldn't see before, including the leftover tacos that were on the top shelf of the refrigerator. You know, this is what Jesus means. Light illuminates things that are in darkness. A town built on a hill can't be hidden because its light shines. A light in a room doesn't get put under a bowl, it gets put on a stand so that it can light up the whole room. Now, in ancient Israel, a Jew hearing this would see instantly what Jesus meant. Israel was called. Israel was sent to be a light to the nations. They knew that this is what God had called them to be, to be a light to the world. You know, God revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Moses and Mount Sinai, called them, set them apart to be a light to the world. And by Jesus proclaiming this message, he's affirming this, but he also calls us. He calls us to be the light. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, he gives the disciples the Great Commission, you know, to, to go into the nations and make disciples. He called us to go and to shine the light of what God is doing in our world. 
But who is the salt? Who is the light? And Jesus has two words that he puts in front of both of these metaphors. You are. So as I was studying to be ordained in the Christian Reformed Church, I was um, overseen by a group of, of pastors in, in Classes Toronto that, that took me from start to finish. And they walked with me. And they talked with me. And they encouraged me as, as I was, was studying and, and, and working. And, and one time at one of these meetings, one of the pastors who was interviewing me asked me a question. He said, Hayden, where does the kingdom of God start? Where does it begin? And it was one of those times where I knew that the, that the, the person was looking for a specific answer. And he said, Hayden, it starts in here. And he pointed to my heart. This is what Jesus is saying. Where does God's kingdom start in us? It starts in our hearts. See, everything Jesus is teaching in the Gospels is carried out in and through us. And here we have it in these first two words in this passage. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. What do these two words mean for us? Well, I think they mean three things at least. First, they give us, they give us a tremendous amount of confidence. Jesus thinks we can do this. This is not a conditional statement. Now, you may be sitting in, in the pew thinking, geez, me? <laughs> like, I can see, like, him as being the salt and, and her as being the light, but me, like, I don't... Yeah, you. This statement gives us confidence. I was reading a few weeks ago a pastor named John Stott who said that the very notion that a Christian can exert a healthy influence in the world should bring us up with a start. So he's saying, yeah, it should surprise us that, that a Christian described in the Beatitudes could be able to influence this world. But he says, but he said, um, should bring us up with a start. What possible influence could someone described in the Beatitudes exert in this tough world? But there it is, he says. You are. Jesus is sure of it. In fact, he came to empower us. He came to give us his spirit. After he died, you know, the commission that I referenced a few moments ago, he, he finishes off by saying, I will be with you always. But this doesn't just give us confidence. It gives us responsibility. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it like this. He says, it is to be noted that Jesus calls not himself, but his disciples to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. There's no way we can deflect this to the person sitting beside us in the pew. This is for us. This is a big responsibility. And we have to see that. That this text gives us a responsibility to go into the world as the salt and the light. Thirdly, though, these words give us significance. John Stott, again, puts it like this. He says, Jesus referred to a handful of Palestinian peasants as the salt and the light. What this means is that Jesus is not just speaking here to a group of social elites. He's not just, just speaking to those who have high influence in their culture. He's not just speaking to the movers and the shakers of their world. He's talking to common people and saying, you are the salt and the light. This message 
of the kingdom is for everyone. But not only are we to know the teaching, Jesus calls us to live the teaching. Where is this salting and lighting to take place? In, on the earth and in the world. Now, interestingly enough, this is one of the only times that Jesus refers to the workplace of a Christian as the world. Abraham Kuyper famously says, every square inch. Right? Jesus is basically reflecting that here. We're to go out and in all things enter as the salt and the light. And you know, we often talk about this though. In church, we often say, you know, we have to view everything as worship. That every part of our jobs is an act of worship. But it can somehow, sometimes we can get a little bit confused as to, like, how does that actually take place? How does Jesus call us to enter into our work as the salt and the light? I think this, this passage helps us to see that. And I think Tim Keller explains it well when he says this. He says, when we say that Christians work from a gospel worldview. So in other words, for us this morning, you know, when we say that Christians are sent as the salt and the light, it does not mean that we are constantly speaking about Christian teaching at work. Some people, Keller says, think of the gospel as something that we're to look at and focus on. He says this would mean that Christian musicians should play Christian music, that Christian writers should write stories about conversion, and Christian businessmen and women should, should work for companies that only make Christian-themed products and sell to Christian customers. Keller says, yes, some, sometimes, sometimes people do that, and they do it really well. But to say that a Christian is only faithful when we do such overtly Christian activities is false. Instead, Keller says, think of the gospel as a set of glasses that you put on through which you look at everything else in the world. So there's a distinction that he's making there on how Christian is to be faithful in the world as a Christian between, you know, seeing the gospel as something you focus on and seeing the, as seeing a gospel as something you look through to see things differently. So then, if we apply that, you know, what's one way that a Christian construction worker is faithful as the salt and the light in the world to fight against the decay and to, to shine a light into what God is doing in the world and in their lives? How do they do that? Well, one way is being a person who's, who's influenced by this and changed by the gospel sees the ultimate builder, is God, who created this world very good. And so a construction worker can, can see that and take raw materials in this world, you know, wood and stone and copper and steel and make buildings that are also very good. Taking things and making good quality buildings, honest work. One way apparent being the salt and the light in this world, sees themselves living this, if they see it through the gospel lens, one way to do this is, is that they see that, that they have been influenced and changed 
by a perfect father who didn't even spare for his children's flourishing, didn't even spare his only son. Selflessly, humbly, filled with wisdom and grace, gave of himself. So for us as a church, what does it look like for us to see our world around us with gospel glasses on? Now I know that you've spent time and energy seeking to hear from God. What, what, what is he calling us to do in Hamilton? I know that's happening here. I've heard stories of it. And so for me here this morning, I'm, I'm really excited to be able to join you in that. Because this is our calling. Because just like a muddy, wet, smelly dog gets everything it touches dirty and wet and smelly, you know, a Christian who's been, who sees things through the gospel lens also gets everything they touch dirty and smelly with Jesus. So where does this leave us, though? You know, we, we've, we know the teaching. We're called to live the teaching we have this decay and darkness in our world. Can we overcome this? No. Overcoming the decay cannot be done by working harder or trying harder, but only through encountering the teacher, Jesus. In the Gospel of John, in the first chapter, the metaphor of, of salt and light, it shows up again. John says, we read it earlier, the true light that gives light to all people has come into the world. See, Jesus entered our world. Everywhere he went, he was healing people. He was cleansing people. He was forgiving sin. He was salt. He was working against the decay of this world. He came into the world as light. You know, John says that in him there was, no, there was absolutely no darkness at all. He's the true light. The true salt and the true light. But did Jesus just come into this world to set the example for us? No. Jesus entered the world to take on our decay. To take on our darkness and carry it to the cross. See, Jesus carried our sin and our darkness to the cross. The place where, where even God himself turned his face away from him. He embraced our destructive decay to the point that it killed him. But he did this not to delay the decay in our world, but to destroy it. Jesus died not to show us the light, but to give us the light. And we know this because in three days he rose from the dead. He defeated death. So this means for us, sitting here in, in these pews this morning, that, that, that the decay that we experience in our hearts, the darkness in our lives, has been overcome by our Savior. He is our true salt, our true light. We aren't preserved by trying hard to be salt and the light. Rather, rather we're, we're, we're by receiving and following the true light and the true salt, Jesus doesn't just preserve us, but he, re he actually rebuilds us. And he makes us into new people. And, and it all starts here.
in our hearts as we receive the grace that he gives to us and follow him. As we encounter our deepest needs as human beings met in him. And one day, we're told, we're promised, one day he will come again and he will establish a place where, where we need no salt because there is no decay. And he, that a place where there is only light because there's no darkness. So in this freedom of grace we receive, in this hope of the, the coming of Jesus again, we are sent out into this world and empowered to be the salt and the light so that others may see our good deeds and glorify him for what he has done for us. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray.